Father, tonight um, we're heading toward a time of prayer. <clears throat> we're asking you to help us. Um, I, I know from the writings of Paul that we have choices to make not only to believe things, but to pursue them. When he talked about spiritual gifts, he said, covet the spiritual gifts, seek all of them, and especially seek to prophesy. And, and um, he, he, he said uh, several times, about a half dozen times, um, he said, make every effort to do something. So it's not just getting our theology right. It's pursuing things that are worth the extra effort. Now, we also know that everything from you is worth extra effort. We know from the book of Psalms that the word of God is more precious than silver, more precious than gold, and uh, that, that your word is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb, the psalmist said. Lord, this is not a this is not to establish a hierarchy of the things of God, but there are some things that are counterintuitive. They, they work against our Western mindset and um, things that were very common to the people of God in ancient times have become uncommon to us because of scholasticism that has triumphed over mysticism and over the, uh, the, the Western mindset as opposed to the, to the uh, Hebrew mindset. So help us to begin to wrap our head around uh, this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I, I, I nearly kept praying there, but I realized God doesn't need me to explain things to him um, that, I'm, that I'm really feeling, but I was, I was praying about it. But um, I do believe that we are about to, to see a season of incredible revelation, primarily through the Word. But I think there are two other venues where incredible things are going to be happening. Number one is when God's people come together. I think during this next year, in 2022, we're going to, in a new and fresh way, we're going to begin to understand how important it is for us to come together and what happens when we come together. There's never been a time in, in my lifetime, which I mean, you know, that's a very brief, very short period of time. But in my lifetime, there's never been a time where the church is as disregarded as it is right now. And, and what I mean by that is um, because of just tough days. We are, we are in some tough days. And I know, uh, you know, I, I don't want you to ever get tired of me saying that. I'm saying that because we need to know we're in tough times. It's not something you've done that makes the times difficult right now. The times we are in are very tough times. And, um, and, and I, I think that uh, the enemy wants us to think that we've done something and that we're just not living the Christian life. And one of the byproducts of that is things that we've always cherished. We're, we're kind of second guessing now. And, and church is one of those things. So God is gonna restore the glory of his name in his church. And he's going to show us and he's going to show the world that he hasn't changed his mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, as we talk about dreams and visions, we're going to look at uh, basically 
we're going we're gonna to give a, a, a disclaimer, first of all. Um, there is always the preeminency of the Word of God. We'll talk about that. Um, We're going to talk about the languages of God, the way that God speaks and some of the dynamics that he uh, employs. Excuse me. And then we're going to talk about some reasons for dreams. It's not an exhaustive list necessarily, but uh, we're going to talk about, you know, pastor, if dreams are so important, like you say they are, why would God do that? Why, why can't he just speak? Uh, well, I, I want to say this, lest I forget to say it later. We, we keep thinking that if we could just hear an audible voice, all our doubts would be laid to rest. But I want to tell you, you and I are hardwired to hear in our spirits, uh, not in our flesh. Uh, we lean on the flesh, but we're hardwired to hear in our spirit. And when God shows us something in a dream or a vision, I want to tell you, it's, it, it is more real, I think, than an audible voice. Um, and I think when you look at the scripture, you see the value God in some of the most sensitive situations. There are times that warranted a visit from an angel. And there were a couple of times in the ministry of Jesus where they heard the audible voice of God. But there are multiple times uh, where people are hearing are, are having dreams and visions. You see that in the Gospels. You see it in the book of Acts. And don't forget the wonderful book of Revelation was a, a prophetic experience that John had. Um, but let's begin by talking about the value of God's written word. This is the disclaimer we want to make. We understand and we agree that God's word is the preeminent and the normative way he speaks to his people. We thank God for his written word. Now they did not always have the written word, but they've had the written word for a long, I say they, talking about the people of God. We've had the written word for a long, long time. We've had the written word all throughout the church age. And then we had it before that. It's, it's um, probably about 1400 BC that people begin to understand this is the word of the Lord spoken through Moses. And uh, by the time uh, David comes along, they have the Torah, the five, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the foundation of Israel's culture, and they were written scrolls. In fact, the greatest Passover celebration, other than the original one, that, um, that is recorded in God's word is when Josiah... Israel had been without the scriptures. Um, there, there, were, there were kings and there were people that tried to destroy the scriptures. And a, 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 a far-thinking priest uh, realizing that we're going to lose the law of Moses if we don't preserve it and protect it, he hid it in a place in the temple when all of the uh, government of Israel was out to destroy it. In fact, one of the most amazing things about Jeremiah's life is when Baruch wrote everything down that he said and it was presented to the king and the king just cut it up with a knife and Jeremiah and Baruch go back and write it out again. You know, it was an amazing thing and they didn't press print, you know, it had to be done by hand. Um, There was a reason and the value of, of God's word. But during the reign of Josiah, while they were renovating the temple. And, and let me tell you this, this is a good sermon, but not for tonight. Whenever you renovate 
Whenever you restore God's house, meaning your relationship with God, all kinds of things happen. And it was while they were renovating the temple and restoring the temple that they found the scroll, uh, the, the law of Moses that had been hidden. And they had been right at a little over a hundred years without any written copy. Everything they had was by memory. And everything they had was the recollection. And when, when they discovered the word of God, Josiah had a Passover to beat all Passovers. In fact, Josiah's heart was broken. He said, you know, we, we've discovered the law of God and, and we, we've recovered the law of God. And there were prophets and prophetesses that God was using. But Jerem, uh, Josiah said, we have ignored so much. We have missed so much and God blessed him for restoring the temple, but also putting the written word back into priority. Um, we need to understand that our anchor is the word of God, the written word of God, not a reconstructed version of it. And, and I, I know I've said this before and you may be getting tired of hearing it, but I'll, I'll try to stop it through Christmas at least. Um, the, the trend right now, in, in, even in conservative theology, is the idea of um, the Bible is it's not about words, it's about stories. And the Hebrews were phenomenal storytellers, and Jesus was a great storyteller. And in fact, in January, when we come back on Wednesday nights, I'm going to start a new series on the parables, those amazing stories that Jesus told, about 15 messages or so on the parables. But it's not, the Word of God is more than stories, because stories, if all the Bible is is stories, you can make the stories mean anything you want them to mean. You know, you can make this application and that application, but we believe in our view of the authority of Scripture that the, the, the Word of God is anointed not just a story and not just a concept. What is going on out there? Um, I don't know if that was maybe a low-flying angel. I don't know. But anyway, um, it, 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 the very words are chosen by God. And, and that's why it's important. That's why we study the New Testament in its Greek form. And we study the Old Testament in its Hebrew form. And those few verses in Aramaic. Because we know that God chose words. And, and those words are very important. And if God is so careful about the words he chose, the New Testament says that men of old were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that we believe they were preserved from error and there's no contradiction in the scripture that cannot be explained. Um, it's usually a matter of perspective um, of, of who was telling the story, who was making the statement. So I want to say first and foremost, a church that is used of God, a church that is a spirit-filled church will have its roots in the word. But it's that very written word that tells us it shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Upon the wealthy and the servants alike, I will pour out of my spirit and there will be a great visitation of revelation. So it's while we hold to the word of God, 
emphatically, we also, the written word of God, we also understand that that very written word of God tells us that God will speak through dreams and visions and prophetic words. Now, all of that is down here. All of that, if the, if the written word is here, everything is down here. Um, that's why we tell people, you know, God may speak to you and say, thus saith the Lord, but I think you need to really get clearance from the Lord before you start delivering prophecies and stuff in a thus saith the Lord mindset, because we are not preserved from error the way the biblical writers were. And even if we get the words exactly right, we're going to find out in two weeks, the big challenge is for us to interpret the words well to be sure that we're communicating the truth of the words. So let's, we, we walk that tension, being a spirit-filled people, of God gives us prophetic utterances. God gives us dreams. God gives us impressions and leadership of the Holy Spirit. All of that is legitimate, but all of that is subject to the written word of God. Now, let's talk secondly about the languages of God. Um, we know that God can speak to us, in an audible voice. We know that God can speak to us through his written word. I should have written all of this, put it, put it in the notes for you, but I didn't. There is the written word of God. <clears throat> God can also speak to us through a personal prophecy or, or um, like the early church. They said on a couple of occasions, they made their deliberations. They listened to what they felt the, the Lord was saying. And this is what the church leaders basically said. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. Uh, there, there was no, and there is nothing wrong with saying we're hearing the Lord and we believe this is what he's saying. And we're doing our best to follow him. So it, so it, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and it seemed good to us. That, that's the normal Christian life. That is the book of Acts way of doing things. There, there, there is no doubt in the book of Acts that we're going to hear from the Lord but we also understand that we've got to discern properly what God is saying. And if there is confusion about what God is saying, then we know that God can bring clarity any way he wants to. One, for instance, is in the book of Acts where Paul was knowing that he was sent on a mission and he wanted to go one direction. The Holy Spirit said no. We don't know how the Holy Spirit said no. Maybe just a disturbed heart, maybe a prophetic word, we don't know. He tried to go another vision, another direction rather. The Holy Spirit said no. So God gave him a dream or a vision of the man from Macedonia. And the man from Macedonia, Paul recognized him probably by his clothing, said, come over and help us. And Paul said, that's when we figured out that God was directing us to go this direction. Um, they knew they were on a mission. They were doing their best to hear from the Lord, but God said, I can resolve this for you. And he gave a dream and vision. Now, let me say one more thing. Um, you, you, for, and you, I wrote down a couple of scriptures, not just the references, not the scriptures themselves. Um, you look in Matthew chapter one, you look in Matthew chapter two, you look in Acts chapter 18, and what you and I find is that God, both in the Old Testament um, and in that transition time of, you know, the early before the birth of Christ, where they're moving from, you know, the, the, those those thirty something years of Jesus, where we're transitioning from the old order to the new order. In the old order, in that transition time, 
and even after the resurrection of Jesus, God spoke to his people through dreams and visions. Um, even, and we've got to be careful. I know, I know I'm not speaking ill of people because I know that you can be a cessationist and love God with all your heart. I know that. And we've, we've got already got too much division in the body of Christ. I, I don't want to say anything bad about our brothers and sisters that are cessationists because I know of cessationists that believe that God can speak in a dream, but he just doesn't, you know, or, or it's an exceptionally rare thing. But I'm telling you that whether you look at Old or New Testament, the transitionary period, it's a common occurrence. God, God is, is um, it, I started to say bilingual. He's more than bilingual. God continues to speak through dreams and visions. When Peter was about to miss the opportunity of a lifetime, God gave him a vision of the sheep being let down from heaven. And he knew the, the written word, but he was in danger of making a wrong application. And he said, Lord, nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. Talking about food. And Jesus said, I want you to understand something, Peter. Anything that I've called, uh, that I have cleansed, don't call unclean. Now, the, the illustration God used was about food. But he was about to learn that God was talking about more than food. He was talking about people because he was sending him to the household of Cornelius. So we see, we see that God speaks in dreams regularly. Um, in fact, one of the things that I have noticed is that some of the greatest evangelistic movements in the world today are among, uh, is, is among Islam. Uh, is, is in the Muslim community, and a what I would think would be a disproportionate number of Muslims that are coming to Jesus are being visited in their dreams by angels or by Jesus. And, uh, you know, why does God do it that way? I think one reason might be that the Muslim mindset is more open to that kind of supernatural communication. Um, but uh, what... I will say it this way. We Christians need to be careful, those of us in the West, because if we operate from a Western mindset, there's nothing wrong with that. A Western mindset is not a bad mindset. But what we can fall into the trap of doing is trying to interpret the Scripture from as though it is a Western book instead of, uh, of an Eastern book. And what happens uh, about... Um, about 500 years ago, the battle was lost in Western civilization to scholasticism. Mysticism lost out to scholasticism. And so now we are in a culture, and it has invaded the church, where we are so uh, into in, you know, intelligence and education and logic and reason that anything that does not fit logic and reason, we reject. And I, I mean, I've, I've been Pentecostal all my life, but, I, but my, the early, my early education in Bible college 
was, was, was almost, it was never said this overtly, but it was almost a, we have graduated beyond this mysticism. We are the intellectuals. We are the educated ones. And we're going to reach the world and they've got a whole lot of baggage that, uh, that, that they, they, they still embrace. And I've come to believe, and, and I, you guys know I believe in education. I, you know, I have a doctorate. I'm not opposed to education. Um, I'm, 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 I'm a fan of John Wesley. Someone chastised him and said, Mr. Wesley, God does not need your education to reach the lost. And John Wesley said, sir, you are right. God does not need my education to reach the lost. But in fairness, I need to say he doesn't need your ignorance either. And, uh, I, I, you know, I love that. That's one of my favorite Wesley quotes. I, I'm not opposed to education, but what we have done is we have allowed logic and reason and the, and the ultimate demand of our theology is that it be understood. That's the Western mindset. And, and I do believe the Bible can be understood and I do believe in logic, I do believe in reason, but we will never tap into what God has for us if that's all that we allow in our parameter. And what I started to say about cessationism, I'm sorry, I'm trying to hurry tonight. Uh, what I started to say about cessationism is that even if you are a cessationist with what I call a pure heart, your heart is, oh, God can do anything. He just doesn't work that way anymore, which I think is wrong. But that's what I call, you know, you, 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 don't, you don't say God can't. I have trouble with somebody that says God can't. But there are a lot of cessationists that say, well, God can. He just doesn't. I disagree with them. But even that mindset that has pervaded the American church that says this is what God used to do. And by the way, I don't know if you know this or not. Um, uh, it, it's now... Um, and, and you can make, I realize you can take surveys and say anything you want to say, but there are surveys that say that the, it's a slight majority, but the majority of the church in America does not believe in the miraculous. In fact, um, I think the last survey I saw was, and it's back from the 80s, but it was something like 40 something percent said even the miracles that Jesus did were just misunderstood, you know, common occurrences. Um, and you watch the History Channel and they have a special on the 10 plagues of Egypt and it talks about 10 things caused by weather or whatever. And, and we, we, we put a value on that and we, and we have opted for scholasticism and we have missed out on mysticism. Now, when the war first began um, and it appeared that scholasticism was winning, uh, the mystical side they made a decision, well, if, we, if we're not going to be taken seriously, we'll just go into the wilderness. And that was the beginning of, of the monks and the monastic movement, which did a lot of good. But it also said, you know, we're, we're going to withdraw to our own world out here. And so people that believe the things we believe have always been viewed as fringe. We've always been viewed as outliers when the fact of the matter is God said it'll come to pass. This was at the birth of the church. He says, expect dreams and visions. Um, dreams are normal. Numbers 12, 6, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. 
um, Joel, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You say, well, those are Old Testament scriptures. But when the church was born on the day of Pentecost, it was that very scripture from Joel that the Holy Spirit chose to say, this is what you're seeing now. What Joel predicted is what you're seeing now. And then it's repeated in Acts 2, 16 to 18. Um, he said, these men, you think they're drunk. They're not drunk. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then Job, even in the earliest of days, we've talked about this. Job is probably the oldest um, book um, let me, let me put it, let me, let me restate that. Um, Job was an old story during the time of Moses. That's how old the story of Job is. We know that from some of the language use. We know that from some of the type of money that was described in the book. It, it, was, it, it was before Moses. And in fact, many scholars think that Moses is the one that gave us the story of Job. So going way back, Job said, God does speak now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. He speaks in a dream, the vision of the night when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds. He may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn man from wrongdoing and keep him from pride to preserve his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Way back in the book of Job, they said, look, God will, will show you dreams to, 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 when you won't listen to reason any other way, God will rattle you in the night and, and, and get your attention that way. Now, let's, uh, let's hurry. I feel like I'm, I feel like I need a Gatorade here. Um, so what are the purposes of dreams? Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is, this is a good starting point. And I think these are the major purposes of dreams. Here's, uh, but the big thing I want you to understand, dreams and visions are normal. And I believe we're about to see an explosive increase uh, as, as, as part of the harvest. Now, let me say one other thing. Um, it, it's part of the last lesson that we're going to do in two weeks, but I, but I feel like I need to just stop and say it right now. This does not mean that every dream you have is a dream from God. Um, there are people that come up with strange theology. Um, somebody, not, not, not any of you, but somebody, a, a, a family member, said, I, I really thought the Bible taught this, but I had this dream. And I explained to them, I said, that was, that was you dreaming from your own spirit. You're processing this event and so you're going to have dreams sometimes like this. That's your subconscious mind trying to reconcile what has happened. And it's totally normal. It's not evil. But this is not a dream from the Lord because what you dreamed totally contradicts Scripture. And, and they understood that. Now, even if you are a dreamer, you know, you're accustomed to hearing from the Lord in dreams. Um, we've got to understand that our tendency is to... We have a dream and we always try to make an application, uh, but just hold steady because it might have just been your subconscious processing things. It might have just been your subconscious processing things. Now, I also know what it's like to have a dream that I said, eh, 
boy, that was weird. And that was, uh, and by the way, there's no scientific or psychological evidence that, you know, pizza gives you bad dreams. Um, we blame it on pizza late at night, but uh, it, it could keep you awake, but it, there's no evidence that it gives you bad dreams. Um, but um, there, there have been times I said, well, Ramona would, I would say, you think that was the Lord? And I said, I don't think so. But sure enough, later that day, it, it would just stay with me and something would unfold itself in my heart. And I realized this was a dream from the Lord, but it's, it's not anything what I thought. Um, and that's happened a lot of times too. So we don't want to take the approach that every child of God, every dream they have is a dream from the Lord. No, sometimes it's just, you're worried about something. I, I, I know what it's like to dream something and think, boy, this is weird. And then I wake up and I'm, and I've joined with my buddy on TV. You know, I fell asleep watching TV and I'm trying to help him escape, you know, and it, it, it was just, I was just not in a deep enough sleep to shut it out. So I'm processing all of this, you know. I can't tell you how many crimes I've helped Sheriff Longmire solve. Um, and, and I'm sure he appreciates my help. But um, there, when, when God gives us a dream, here are some of the purposes. Um, <clears throat> number one, God can give us dreams to warn us. Now, there's a lot of examples of this, but I'm just going to try to hit each one with a couple of examples. Um, I, we just talked about Job 33, um, where it says that he, he gives dreams, and, and the, the phrase was used to terrify, meaning, to, meaning literally to, to, to get your attention and to shake you from a course of action. Um, he says to, to turn many. I think of a family member, I don't have their permission to share this, uh, so I won't, I won't give you too many details, but we were praying for this family member. Um, I, mean, this, I mean, this was back before I even came here as pastor. And we, we, we tried our best and just nothing was happening. And when he finally gave his heart to the Lord, he said God gave him a dream that terrified him. And he said, I saw the judgment of God that was coming on me. And he, he woke up screaming out. And it was, it was like at that moment, I began to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He didn't think he could get saved till he got to church. So it was a few days later. But God turned him in, in a dream. Uh, Job says, the book of Job says, it's to keep us from going into the pit. Um, Genesis 41, 32, that, that severe warning dream to Pharaoh when he um, dreamed about the, the withered ears or the withered grain and the, and the, and the skinny cows uh, eating up the fat cows. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that, this is NIV, is, is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Um, Joseph said, look, you've, God showed you this and then he showed it to you in another form. And somehow Joseph had the understanding that when God shows you something twice, this is going to happen. Uh, this, is, this is firmly determined. Um, now we do know that some trouble can be averted when God gives us a dream to warn us. We know that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that terrified him. And, and he brought in Daniel because Daniel had interpreted other dreams. He says, what does this dream mean? 
And Daniel said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, oh, king, live forever. I wish this dream was for your enemies and not for you. And this was the dream that prophesied Nebuchadnezzar going insane. And um, he said, he said this is horrible news. And this dream is, it, you're terrified and you ought to be. Because this means you're going to lose your mind. But what Daniel said this, he says, God is merciful. And it could be that if you would turn from your wickedness and turn from your arrogance, that's pretty tough to tell the king. And if you turn from your evil, it could be that God will show mercy on you. And this can be averted. And, of course, he didn't uh, turn. And God did not avert the judgment. But I wonder if God did not show mercy to him by allowing him to come back into his right mind. That might have been the mercy of God. That, that, that might have been something, instead of him just being held in, in, in secrecy till he died, it could have been that Daniel's um, word of wisdom to him caused him to turn enough. We don't know, because you can never see in a man's heart but it, maybe it turned him enough that even though the judgment had to come, it was not a permanent judgment. So some trouble can be averted. Some, like the famine that was coming to Egypt, could not be averted. Um, so God uses dreams to warn us. Um, God uses dreams to encourage us. Sometimes we are ready to quit or we're feeling like we can't survive any longer and God will give us a dream to encourage us. Um, Acts 18 says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. In other words, God, my interpretation of this and, and I, I know that people far smarter than me are split on this, but there weren't, a, there weren't a lot of believers in that city. But God, who sees the end from the beginning, looked on that scene and he said, I'm going, when he says I have many people in this city, it was God's way of saying, hang in there because things are going to turn. And there's going to be a great work that you do in this city, even though you can't see it right now. When Paul was on board the ship and Luke said, all hope that we should be saved was taken away, an angel stood by Paul. And, and um, I, guess you, I guess we would classify that as a vision. And, and next time, not, not Thanksgiving, but the next week, we're going to talk about the, the types of visions and, and dreams that we have. Um, and, and the angel of the Lord told him, listen, it's going to be, you remember what God promised you. God always keeps his promises. Don't be afraid. And he said, the angel showed me that we're going to be saved, but we're going to, uh, there's going to be a shipwreck and we have to hold to the pieces of the ship. And, and God kept his word. So God uses dreams to encourage us as well as warn us. And sometimes God uses dreams to provide guidance for us. I told you earlier about Paul and his quest for on a missionary journey. Uh, about going to Macedonia during the, the night Paul had a vision. And we're going to talk in a couple of weeks about 
how dreams and visions can sometimes mean the same thing, but there's difference. There's a difference between a dream and certain types of visions. But during the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So God provided guidance. When um, Joseph was ready to give Mary a bill of divorcement because he was a righteous man and it wasn't a judgment upon her. If he was trying to judge her, he wouldn't have been willing to put her away privately. He didn't want to hurt her in any way, but he knew something was wrong and God gave him a dream and said, this that is in Mary is not the product of the flesh. It's the work of God. And Joseph was at peace. And then God told them to leave. And then God told them in a dream to come back. So God provides guidance for us. Um, when Joseph got some disturbing news and he was afraid to go to a certain place, then God gave him another dream and said, well, then go here. Um, so God can use dreams to provide guidance for us. Uh, number four, or letter D, um, God uses dreams to invite us to enjoy intimacy and communion. Um, I, I, boy, this is, would take longer than I have tonight to explain, but um, I know that um, um, back during the Brownsville revival, um, and I had gone a couple of times, and it, it really impacted me. But I was fairly new at the church. I'd only been here a couple of years. And it, it, God was speaking to me about some directions to take. And some of them seemed controversial. And uh, I, I, won't, I won't take time to tell you the dreams. But God, on two occasions, um, gave me dreams that, that said, look, this, you don't have to do this. These are my words, not his. But I am opening this door for you. And if you will walk through this door this will happen at the church. And it, it, was, it was like, he wasn't saying, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. But it was like he was saying, there's more than you've ever experienced. And, and it's a generational thing. It's not going to happen quickly. But he said, if you'll go through these doors, happened twice. He said, I'll bless you. And we've gone through those doors and God has blessed us. Um, uh, he, he gave me a dream one time when um, the church began to grow and I realized I could not do everything that I needed to do at the church and pray and study the way I needed to pray and study. The church had just it had outgrown my ability to pastor under my old model. And God gave me a dream about a fire of the hiding place. And, and he gave me a dream about a door that was in heaven. And he said, you have to make the decision. Um, again, my words, not his but what he was saying is you've got to decide if you want to be uh, a great pastor or you've got to decide, not he didn't use the word great, if you want to be a, a, a faithful pastor or if you want to be a faithful preacher of my word. And I realized for the first time in my life, I'm not going to be able to spend all my time in people's houses and still hear from God. And I, I said, Lord, I, I can't survive a church. The church will stop growing. Uh, and we had grown to about 600 people at that time. And we didn't quit growing because I made the decision that I always want to be a good pastor and I always want to love people, but my time in God's presence will be the priority. That's what I have to do. And you've allowed me to do that. And I'm thankful for that. First um, Kings 3, Gibeon 
um, it was the site where God spoke to Solomon during the night. And, and he said, remember, God invites us to enjoy intimacy and communion. And God spoke to Solomon and said, ask whatever you want me to give you. Every time I read that, I just, I start salivating spiritually. What would it be like for God to say, whatever you want me to give you, you just mention it. And Solomon gave a, a remarkable answer. He said, give me wisdom to know how to um, uh, carry out my duties in leading the people of God. And God gave him an understanding heart. And then God said, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, you haven't asked for the death of your enemies. But isn't that an interesting prayer request? You haven't asked for the death of your enemies. Um, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. Never anyone like you, nor will there ever be anyone like you. But I will also give you what you have not asked for. God came to him and God appeared to Solomon twice. And God said, uh, I am inviting you to walk in this. And you say, yeah, but Solomon, Solomon didn't finish well. Well, what we don't understand if we don't read the story closely is that Solomon spent decades pleasing God. And his error was at the end of his life. And, and we hope when we read the account that he came back to the Lord, but he, he did not end the way God wanted him to end. But Solomon had decades of pleasing God and, and serving him in a special way. Here's number five, uh, letter E on your outline, I think, is um, God uses dreams to reveal the future. That's what we often think of dreams being about is revealing the future. And sometimes they do. Joseph uh, said, we're going to have seven good years and seven bad years. And the bad years are going to be so bad that the good years will be forgotten. That's how bad they were. And um, we, we uh, talk about um, God's ability to say, you know, this is what's going to happen. We don't always understand the when. We don't always understand the why. If you've ever been out west, um, you know, it's not like the Smoky Mountains, which are beautiful mountains, but they're really just kind of rolling hills. But when you go out west and you see the Tetons or you see the Rocky Mountains, I mean, those are, those are beyond description. And I remember the first time that I was in Colorado, I told Ramona, uh, Jeremy was just a little bitty fella. And um, she said, I think I just want to stay here at the hotel and let, let Jeremy stretch and, you know, we'll play in the pool or whatever. I said, well, I, I tell you what I'd love to do. This is so beautiful. I said, I, we've got this mountain right here and there's, a, the, there's the other mountain over there. I said, I think I just want to drive to the other mountain. You know, it, it, it couldn't be that far because, you know. Uh, and you know what I found out? I found out that it was something like 180 miles between those mountains. But I, I wasn't used to that perspective. And sometimes we're like that with, with, even with Bible prophecy. We say, oh, this is, oh, here's the sign and this is the fulfillment. Well, here is the sign, here is the fulfillment. But that valley is a big old booger of a valley. And um, so we may have trouble understanding what God speaks to us about the future, but God still encourages us by showing us the future, whether to warn us or encourage us. Um, the, the, the next thing, uh, let's see, A, B, C, D, E, F, number six, the eighth 
The sixth thing is that God uses dreams to issue commands to his people. God can speak to you in such a way where you might not have done this or your heart can be set on doing something else. And it, you, that's the natural thing to do. That's, you, you don't even stop to pray about it because when this happens, you do this. Uh, an example was Laban. Um, uh, Jacob, now Jacob had been cheated by Laban. I've often said that whatever your weakness is, God will surround you of people with the same weakness to show you what you're like. And um, that's why I've always tried to be careful when I start getting mad with somebody because it's probably there's something in them that's in me too. And um, so God said, Jacob, you are a trickster. You are a deceiver. You are a manipulator. So what does he do? He sends him to a trickster and a manipulator and a deceiver. Laban was better than he was. He, Jacob was the trickster, but Laban changed his salary 10 times. And then, uh, you know, how did that happen? And then Jacob just leaves and takes Laban's two daughters, who are his wives, Jacob's wives, takes them with him. And that means not only his daughters are gone, but all his grandchildren are gone, or at least the, uh, the children of his daughters. And you can imagine what that papa was feeling when he was going after Jacob. And God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream at night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now we know when Laban caught up with him, we know what he was planning. He said, I've got it in my power to crush you. Th these girls are mine. These children are mine. So I imagine Thanksgiving dinner was going to be pretty tough after that kind of encounter. And he says, the, I, I, can, I can take everything away from you right now. And the indication is that he probably could have. But God had cut it off. This is what Laban says. He said, but God told me not to lay a hand on you. Uh, sometimes we are saved because God has gone before us and warned somebody not to do something. So that happened to Laban. Um, um, we talked about Joseph after he had considered this, setting Mary aside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Joseph was heading this way, doing what he was convinced was right, doing what he was convinced was the law of God. But God said, Joseph, listen, there's more here than you understand. And just as God stopped the heart of Laban from doing something maybe out of an evil heart, God was even able to stop Joseph from doing something even out of a righteous heart. And he used a dream to do it. Um, he gets direction in Matthew 2.13 and 2.19 to 20. We've talked about that. Um, and then let me give you the last thing that we'll talk about tonight. God uses dreams, and he can even use dreams to speak to unbelievers. Um, one is Abimelech. When Abimelech had taken Sarah into his harem, and, um, and, and Abraham had lied, in order to, to protect his skin. And I mean, and, and probably he thought he was doing the best for the whole group. 
But Abimelech was about to do what kings with a harem do. And God said, Abimelech, you're going, you're going to bring judgment on yourself if you do this. And Abimelech said, I didn't know. He told me this was his sister. And God said, I know that. And that's why I'm showing you mercy. But there's no reason to think that Abimelech was a believer in any measure. But God spoke to him and had a conversation with him. Um, so Abimelech is number one. Pharaoh is number two. God gave Pharaoh a dream. Uh, that Joseph interpreted, but Pharaoh, Pharaoh wouldn't have listened to anyone else's dream. He had to have that dream himself. And, um, and, and God was able to speak to Pharaoh. Nebuchadnezzar, God gave him more than one dream. Uh, he had given him the, 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 the image, you know, the, the dream that foretold the future. And um, Nebuchadnezzar, who is an unbeliever, God was able to speak to him. And then there's the Midianite soldier in Judges 7.13. Gideon was so afraid that he was in over his head. And God said, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Sneak into the camp with your bodyguard and just listen to the tent. And the Midianite soldier said, um, I had a dream and a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. Gideon never thought he was enough. And barley bread was bargain basement bread. Uh, it was like eating, and I, I've eaten barley bread, and the closest thing I can compare it to is cardboard. Uh, it's the bread of the poor people. Um, and I know they tell us it's, it's good for you, and it may be, but you're not going to smile about it. Yeah, I'll tell you that much, probably. And he said, I saw a round loaf of barley bread come tumbling into the Midianite camp. And it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And in the course of the conversation, th these unbelievers understood, this is Gideon. This is that commoner that is rising up in Israel. And God not only spoke to those unbelievers, but he used it to bring encouragement to Gideon. Pilate's wife's warning. There is a tradition that says that Pilate and his wife became believers and, uh, and had a church in their own home. There's not enough, in my opinion, there's not enough evidence to, to say conclusively that's what happened. But uh, at any rate, before they knew anything about the claims of Jesus, Pilate's wife um, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. She, she says, I am terrified and my world is turned upside down because I have dreamed and I know this man is innocent. Don't have anything to do with judging him. And um, uh, you say, well, but, but it had to happen. It did, but in the providence of God, he still spoke to an unbelieving woman. And then even the Magi, we're about to celebrate uh, the, you know, the three kings, the three wise men. And, um, and what we're going to find out is that they were, they were divinely led. God spoke to them in a dream and uh, warned them about Herod. Um, and and you've got to understand, these, these wise men, even if they, even if they made... Uh, 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 a bowing to, to Jesus, there was no theology for them to embrace. They didn't join the church that day. 
They might have gotten revelation that changed their lives. I, I do believe that. I believe they got a revelation that changed their life. And they were a foreshadowing of the great influx of Gentiles into the church. Um, I believe that. But when God started speaking to them, they were as lost as they could be, as far as we know. There was no reason to think they were uh, believers. The only way that we would say, well, maybe they were believers of a sort, is that there's a tradition that says the, uh, the Magi um, were men whose roots, their spiritual roots, went back to the teachings of Daniel who Daniel would have been, according to some teachers, Daniel would have been the leader of their order as a wise man. So it could be, now it could be, I, I personally think this is true, but we can't prove it. It could be that I think the reason they ended up at, with baby Jesus is because of the teaching of Daniel. But I can't prove that. But at any rate, they were not elders in the church when they started having these dreams and visitations from the Lord. I want to ask Justin to come and uh, he's going to lead you in prayer. I want to pray for you to dream. Okay, Father, uh, in the name of Jesus, I pray for this congregation, both those that are hearing right now and those that will watch online, our seniors and others. And Lord, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to cause us to dream cause us to dream. Um, if we are on some kind of medication that might hinder dreaming or cause us to have strange dreams, I, I'm not saying we need to stop taking the medicine, but I'm saying, Lord, you are able to overrule what medicines might do so that we can trust our dreams again. We want to reclaim the night seasons. We want the night to belong to you just like the day belongs to you. So we're saying, come Holy Spirit with your dreams, with your visions, speak to us when our, uh, at the moment when we may be at our very most open, our defenses are often down and we don't want the enemy to have access. We, we pray against that, but we pray that our hearts would be open to the Lord who speaks to his people through dreams and visions. I pray for the beginning of a new season of revelation that you're doing for your people. Now, Father, if there's anyone here, anyone that listens online that does not know you as Lord and Savior, we pray that they would get either with Pastor Justin after service tonight or, or maybe call the church uh, if they're watching online later and say, I watched this message and I want to give my life to Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for dreams that you give us to point us in the right direction. Now be exalted. We ask you to touch Joyce and her family uh, with the passing of Terry. Uh, surround them with your love. Uh, this, this man that has pastored for so long. Surround them with your love. And uh, we thank you for a, for a glorious home going that, uh, and a welcome home that Terry has received. Keep your hand on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.